to make excuses. But they all alike began to make excuses. We saw this morning how Abraham's servant had followed the Lord's guidance and had set off on a a long and arduous journey that took him probably over 500 miles of trackless desert in his search for a bride for his master's son Isaac. He went back to the very place from which Abraham himself had come many years before because Abraham did not want his son to end up marrying one of the Canaanite women amongst whom he lived in the land of Canaan. He wanted his son to marry somebody of his own kinship, of his own bloodline. And uh, there was nobody living nearby. They lived a long, long way away. And so the servant set off on this long and arduous uh, journey. And although Abraham had sent his servant off on a quest to find a uh, a bride for his son Isaac, he was concerned for something far far greater. He was concerned for the fulfillment of the Lord's covenant promises, promises that the Lord had given to him many years before that his descendants would possess the very land where he was now living as a herdsman in a tent, and that more especially that through one distant descendant and no time frame was given, uh, all the nations on the earth would be blessed. That was the master plan that God was revealing to his servant Abraham. And for a plan to succeed, all the small details must mesh together. You can have a great plan, a plan that takes into account all the different uh, obstacles that might come your way, and yet the whole plan might fail because you have overlooked one tiny Detail, But the Lord overlooks nothing. And for his future covenant promises to come to fulfillment, then Isaac, first of all, had to have a wife. And if we go back uh, earlier on into the earlier story of uh, Abraham, uh, we find that he was already an old man. He was an old man when he set out from his father's household. He was an old man when he came to the land of Canaan and his wife long past the age of childbearing and yet nevertheless the God who can do extraordinary things had given him a promise that through his wife Sarah long past the age of childbearing a son would be born but as we know from study of the earlier passages the years were passing and uh, there was no uh, son appearing on the horizon God had not shared with Abraham the time frame. He didn't say that your wife will will bear to you a son next year or the year after. It was left open. And Abraham was getting anxious. The years were passing. He was getting older. His wife was getting older. And the likelihood of her uh, producing uh, a son seemed to be coming less and less. And so his wife Sarah uh, told him to go and lie with her Egyptian maidservant, a woman named Hagar. And so he did so. He lay with Hagar, and uh, she conceived, and she bore a son named Ishmael, a child born in the ordinary way. But God's covenant promises would come through a child 
born not in the ordinary way, but a child born miraculously. But God's future blessings, the future blessings that he had promised through Abraham would not come through Ishmael, but through Isaac, the child of promise, who was yet to be born to Sarah. Ishmael is the revered forebear, forefather of Muslims, but the Lord's blessing for the world would not come through Islam. It would not come through the nation of Islam, but it would come through the Jews, and eventually it would come through the man who is a Jew, was a Jew, the Lord Jesus Christ. And before Ishmael's birth, the Lord promised, prophesied back in chapter 16 of Genesis, he will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility towards all his brothers. How true that has been down through the centuries and how true that is this very day. But you know the Lord can do extraordinary things. I noticed a book on my bookshelf the other day that my late wife had read many years ago and it's called Son of Hamas. Some of you may have read it and it's of a young man who grew up in the Palestinian territories. His father was one of the founder members of Hamas and this young man was immersed in all that Hamas wanted to do, the destruction of Israel. He was uh, very actively employed against the Israelites. But then one day somebody gave him a copy of the New Testament or he just picked it up somewhere or other. Nothing, ever hap- nothing in the Lord's plan ever happens by chance. And he read it and he was so amazed by the Sermon on the Mount that he began to uh, compare the religion uh, in which he had been brought up with what he was reading in Matthew's account of the Sermon on the Mount. And gradually his heart was moved and eventually he became a Christian. Reminds us, doesn't it, of Paul. Paul who was persecuting uh, the Christians. Paul who was breathing out threats against the followers of this new way. A man with a heart that was hard and yet he met with the Lord on the Damascus Road and God changed him. And God also changed this man, uh, the author of that book, The Son of Hamas. God can do extraordinary things. And so the sovereign Lord led Abraham's servant to the well at Nahor and graciously answered his request for a sign so that he would know without a shadow of doubt which of these young women coming to draw water the Lord had selected as the wife for his master's son, Isaac. And as we saw this morning, he asked this young woman for a drink of water, and she said, drink, and I'll draw water for your camels also. Ten camels, each one drinking gallons and gallons of water after their long and thirsty traveling across the desert. But here was a woman who didn't complain. Here was a woman who was willing to serve, who was willing to go the extra mile. You know, when you look at these children's Bible storybooks, Rebecca is often displayed as a young, a slim woman, perhaps even a size 8 or a size 10, something of that nature. But I think in reality she was somewhat bigger than that. I'm not going to mention any figures, but she was obviously a strong woman, a woman who was accustomed to working hard 
and knew how to work with livestock. She would have been a perfect farmer's wife. And in fact, she became a farmer's wife because Isaac was a herdsman having uh, sheep and cattle and donkeys and uh, camels. And so all was well. And uh, they said to Rebecca, will you go with this man? And she acquiesced, yes, I will go with this man. The future looked bright. But then the following morning, the servant was anxious to return. He was anxious to uh, bring the good news to his master Abraham because many weeks, perhaps even months, had, had passed uh, since he had left Abraham 500 miles away and so he said send me on my way to my master but the willingness of the day before was now tempered with a desire for Rebecca to stay a little longer 10 days or so we read in verse 55 the servant was alarmed the Lord had granted him success he was anxious to be off and so to settle the matter they called Rebecca and they put the question to her, will you go with this man? And as I said this morning, the most important question we could ever be confronted with, will you go with this man? This man, of course, being the Lord uh, Jesus Christ. And so this evening I want to examine from the parable of the great banquet some of the reasons why people refuse to go with this man. And, uh, of course, there's only three particular excuses given here, but there are many more than that. Some people will give an emphatic no. They want nothing to do with Jesus. They see no need of this, this man who was born 2,000 years ago. How could he help them in the, the present circumstances? How could his life, all those years ago, in a strange and, and uh, a, a strange culture, how could... He affect people today in this scientific age in which we live. Many people, they just make excuses. The time is not right. There are other things that I need to deal with in my life, other things I need to attend to. I'm not yet ready for such a commitment. I'm perfectly happy as I am. It's very interesting. We, we uh, lived for a couple of years in a Muslim country back in the 19... Uh, 70s, and we got friendly with quite a lot of uh, young people there uh, who were our own age. We were young then, and uh, they weren't particularly religious. You know, the, the sort of fundamentalism that has gripped the Muslim world had not yet sort of taken a hold of people in those days. And most of the young Muslims we were friendly with, they were secular. But they all said that as they got older, when they got to about the age of 50 or 60, they would start going to the mosque because as they saw themselves getting older, they were thinking to themselves, well, I'm getting nearer to that point of time when my life will come to an end and I'll need to get right with the God, the God whom they uh, believed in. It was quite strange to, uh, to hear them. But in the parable of the great banquet, Jesus says here that the invitations had already gone out and now when everything was finally ready, the great man sent his servant with the message, come, for everything is now ready. This food had been prepared. The servants had assembled to serve the invited guests. Delay was unthinkable, but they all alike began to make excuses. 
And one man here says, well, I've just uh, bought uh, a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. Very polite. He's just bought a field. Well, a field is going to be there tomorrow. It's going to be there the day after. Nobody's going to run away with his field. A field sits there permanently. And uh, he, this man perhaps saw his future security in a piece of ground. Maybe having bought a field, he saw himself as becoming a country landowner. He was moving up the social ladder. Many years ago, we were friendly with a chap. He bought a croft uh, over near Drum the Drochet, and we were visiting one day. And uh, croft was probably your normal, you know, 10 acres and, and uh, a bit of common grazing. And I noticed on the coffee table a copy of the Country Landowners magazine. He was a man who, because he'd bought a croft, somehow saw himself as being numbered amongst the great estate owners of uh, Scotland. David, King David, was a country landowner. When we look back at the that lovely uh, book of Ruth and we see the fields of barley and of wheat, and I'm sure there, were, there was olives and there was uh, so much else, and grazing land. And although David was the youngest son of a large family, he would have inherited part of that uh, for himself. And in Psalm 16, David declared, the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. But he wasn't thinking of the rich agricultural land that had come down through the family line. He was writing about the Lord whom he loved and served. In verse, six, verse 11 of Psalm 16, you have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy. Joy in your presence with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Perhaps David could go up onto the roof of his palace and he could look out over fields that were, uh, that were lush, that were fertile. But he knew that these things were uh, a gift from the Lord that he had inherited and that one day uh, he would pass on and leave them behind. But for him, his greatest uh, inheritance was to know the Lord God himself. And this man was not asked to give up his field, but to attend the king's banquet in honor of his son and heir. He could view the field later, but for this man, viewing the field took precedence over a waiting upon the king. And I wonder how many farmers tend their fields on the Lord's day rather than uh, coming uh, to church and uh, uh, worshipping the true Lord of the harvest. And then we read here, another man says, I've just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. And again, very polite, isn't he? He's just bought five yoke of oxen, which I presume is ten oxen to, to a yoke. You could compare that to somebody today who has just bought a brand-new Massey Ferguson or a Ford Sometimes on a Saturday afternoon, a friend and I, we walk along the beach in Nairn, and then we go to this uh, a converted steading for a cup of coffee and a scone. And just a few hundred yards away, there's this great big sort of place where they sell tractors, and they've got these huge, great, big, shiny green tractors sitting outside, probably costing well in excess of £100,000. In the modern idiom, we could say 
that this man, eh, will you go with this man? Well, no, I'm sorry, I, I don't want to go with this man just now. I've just bought this new Ford, this new Massey Ferguson, and I must go and see it, and uh, I must uh, try it out. Well, the food that the king ate, the food that went onto the king's table, was produced from fields that had been ploughed by yokes of oxen. But for this man, testing out his new oxen was more important than attending the king. And it's all a matter of priorities, isn't it? What is more important than getting right with God? Did these people imagine that another invitation would come at a more opportune a moment when Jesus called Peter and Andrew and James and John, who were fishermen. They didn't procrastinate. They didn't say, well, we'll sort things out with the rest of the crew and we'll come tomorrow. No, they put their nets down straight away and they followed Jesus. And likewise, Levi, he was there at his tax collector's booth sorting out his money. And Jesus said, follow me. And straight away, we're not even told that he put the books in order for whoever would follow him, but he followed uh, Jesus because these men saw in Jesus something far better than fishing or making money because in Jesus they knew or they would come to know that in him they would receive a treasure in heaven. And so does everybody, everybody who is willing to go with this man. And then another one said, well, I just got married, so I can't come. He's not quite so uh, polite. He didn't excuse himself. I've just got married, so I can't come. Well, God created marriage as a blessing for man and woman. The king was not asking him to desert his wife. He was inviting him to a banquet in honor of his son. If the man had said, look, I've just got married, would you mind if I take my, my new wife with me, would the king have said, no, of course not. The king would have been delighted to order his servants to put out an extra place. These people had already accepted the invitation. If that were not so, the king would not have bothered to inform them that now everything was ready and to come. And the fact is that they never wanted to attend. They just made feeble excuses. For them, the things of this world took priority over the things of God. Their present comforts, their present pleasures were more important than the comforts and pleasures of an eternity in heaven in the nearer presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what about us? We come here to church on a weekly basis. We hear the gospel. This is the one place where you will be urged to go with this man. You can go to the town hall. You can go and see your MP, your MSP. None of them are going to invite you to go with this man, Jesus. But you come here to church and you are urged weekly and exhorted and invited to put your trust in Christ. We deliberately come to the one place where we will receive such an invitation. And yet, for whatever reason, we draw back from taking that step of faith. And those here who are already Christians, those here who already have a close walk with the Lord, their great desire is that you who are as yet outside of Christ would come to know Jesus and to walk with them on the narrow way, no longer on the broad highway. 
And what is better, what is more important for any one of us than knowing Jesus as our personal Savior, knowing him as our Lord, knowing him as our friend, the one who sticks closer than any brother, to have the assurance in our hearts that our every sin is forgiven. God's grace is not cheap. It comes at the cost of his son's blood shed on the cross. God sacrificed the most precious thing he has to provide for us a place in heaven. And I wonder what sacrifice are we willing to make for him? What are we willing to forsake in order to follow Christ? What are we afraid of? Do we fear the Lord will ask us to do something that we simply do not want to do or go somewhere where we do not want to go? Are we afraid that the Lord will impoverish us and take away everything that we have? But even if he did, what he offers us in Christ, the pearl of great price, is far, far better than anything we could ever give up or lose. And the day will come when we will leave behind everything that we have accumulated in this life. But when we come to know Jesus, the best is yet to come. We will never, ever lose him. Farmers may end up in debt and lose their fields. Bailiffs may seize their tractors. And husbands and wives might wander away and go and give their love to somebody else. But when we come to Jesus, we will never, ever lose him. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, he says, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. And the danger for Rebecca was not uh, the hold that material possessions had upon her. The danger for Rebecca was in listening to her family because if she had stayed for 10 days, that 10 days might have gone for another uh, 10 days. Those we love most may be the very ones that try to keep us away from following Jesus because they're afraid that they might lose us. And the devil will use every trick in the book to keep us away from Jesus. And that includes the pleading of family members and loved ones. Had Rebecca desired to please her family and stay on, one writer puts it that 10 days could have lengthened into an eternity but sadly not an eternity in heaven. The late Murdoch Campbell, the minister up in Rosales, wrote this, Many a tender heart has been moved by the appeal of the gospel to come to Jesus, but for whatever reason, tomorrow seemed more suitable than today, and eventually the inner voice that pleaded with them became quieter and less troubling until at last it was heard no more. The candle of spiritual opportunity had gone out forever. Their deathbed prayers met with a closed door and a remote and silent God. What a dreadful prospect to be in that you heard uh, the, the preacher imploring you to come to Jesus and you put it off, you procrastinated and then eventually on your deathbed, where was the Lord? He was no longer there pleading with you. I go to the church in Ferentosh and at the disruption in 1843 
the minister there, John MacDonald, the apostle of the north, left his manse, left his church, and they began meeting in the open air at the burn of Ferintosh. And we still have uh, summer meetings at the burn in Ferintosh. It's a sort of a natural amphitheater surrounded by trees. And he was preaching uh, on this very passage of scripture, uh, chapter 24 in uh, Genesis. And uh, there was a huge crowd of people there. I don't know, was it hundreds, was it thousands? But there was a large crowd. And he, 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 he gave us his text, will you go with this man? And there was silence. And again he repeated it, will you go with this man? And again there was silence and he repeated it a third time and suddenly a woman cried out, yes, I will go. And there was such a movement of the spirit, we're told, that hundreds of people made that commitment. Yes, they will go with this man. It must have been an amazing and a remarkable occasion to have been present at. And at the end of the day, we have to come to Jesus on his terms and his timing. He will not hang about forever while we procrastinate in making up our minds. It is a sin to refuse the offer of Christ. It is to grieve God by throwing back in his face the offer of his love and his forgiveness. Rebecca did not listen to her family. She said without hesitation, I will go. And she was blessed. And we are blessed today because of the decision that she made then, all those centuries ago, millennia ago, to go with this man. So if you have not yet done so, then my friends, don't put it off for 10 days, not even tomorrow, but this very day, because tomorrow may be too late. Will you go with this man? Amen. And may the Lord add his blessing to these thoughts and meditations. We thank you, Lord, for the offer of the gospel, the free offer that we don't have to go on some long and arduous pilgrimage on our knees to a mountaintop shrine. But, Lord, all that is required of us is simply to reach out by faith, trusting that Jesus has done it all and there is nothing for us to do except to put our faith and trust in him the one who is dependable and trustworthy in every way. Lord, bless every family gathered here today. Touch our hearts, draw us to see our need of Jesus, and may there be somebody here who would go on their way rejoicing, because in Jesus they have a wonderful Savior. Take away anything said that's not in accordance with your word. May the glory be yours, and may the blessings be ours in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. We conclude by singing in uh, Psalm 87.